Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Robert Lamb. I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, tell me about the time you met a ghost hunter. All right, if I must. It's a painful memory, but okay. I will tell you. Is this, a, this is a ghost hunter you hired? No, person? no, no, okay. no, no, no. All right. No, no, no uh, hiring of ghost hunters okay. yet. Uh, but it was someone that I interviewed for a, a weekly newspaper that I worked for, and it was around Halloween. Okay. Um, so we were getting in on the Halloween action. And this is a fairly well-known ghost hunter who I shall not name. And I, it was a sort of a... It was an interesting experience because I was just talking to him about his methodology. And in the middle of the interview, he just started laughing and kind of tossing his head around and looking up in the ether. And uh, I said, is there something wrong? And he said, oh, no. He said, I just have this one ghost that kind of hangs out with me. And, you know, he he was just passing some gas. Oh. Yeah. So I said, okay. And, of course, you know how what this is doing in, inside of my head. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, any credibility is just sort of flown out the window. I'm sorry, but I, I just don't know why ghosts would come here from th- the other dimension and then tell us that they were passing gas. Well, it's, yeah, it sounds like he, I mean, that conversation took like two successive dives. Like like the second that your your interview suddenly involves a, 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 a third person from the spirit realm, and then when when it's revealed that, that, that said spirit has some sort of a uh, a gas problem as well, then... Yeah, flatulent disposition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was a problem, but it got worse. I I then asked about the spirit, of course, and I said, "Can you describe the spirit?" And he said, "Well, he's he's a bit of a prankster. He's like just Jack from Will and Grace." <laughs> uh, you know, number two, there gets another red flag. And then he went on to try to say that there was a spirit around me, and she was really sad. And he guessed about seven, eight different names that didn't correlate with any of my um, ancestors. So. I have to say it was it was disappointing. It was uh and it kind of insulting because he's like, check out my my ghost is awesome. He's funny and all. You just right. you got some sad ghost hanging around you. I you? know. He kept making a point that she had a lot of maternal sadness, and I was like, <laughs> well, what does that mean? I don't understand that. Uh, but, but I thought it was interesting just in the context of there was a small part of me that was like, you know, hey, what what if this guy really did have an inline with a ghost? How cool would that be? You know, and it could, you know, part of me was like, yeah, please tell me something Let there be really farting cool. ghosts. Let yeah. this farting ghost be some, you know, give me some sort of information that's useful other than, you know, that he's gassy. Um, so, but I mean, I did think to myself, we all sort of yearn for this, for some sort of explanation about what happens to us after we die. And we, I don't think we can ever quite divorce ourselves from this notion that once we cease to exist as a living human human breathing thing that you know we don't somehow come out in some other form i mean i think that we have this wish fulfillment is what i'm trying to say yeah at least i do i shouldn't say that everybody does but it's it's definitely ingrained in our culture yeah i mean i remember like even like at a young age like there being a point where um where i you know was thinking it's like wow what would it be like if it's just like you know when you when you die it's just that's there's nothing like what would nothing be like you know and the, just that whole sort of mind-blowing area of trying to you know to, to to realize you know what that would be like and then you sort of grow bored with that and you kind of think well what would it be like if i you know became a butterfly in the next life you know and that's that's <laughs> a little more exciting so i i choose to sort of 
I kind of choose to be- to uh, to throw my belief at areas that are a little more interesting, like that. I guess. But. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, we there's nothing, right? Yeah. Zip, zip zero for, and we don't have a context for a zip zero. So, um, but that has not stopped scientists no. from throwing their minds at it. No, no. Of yeah. course, it's the human problem, right? And we're all sitting here saying we've been. We are here where we've been created. We're in a universe that's been created or came into existence is probably the better way to say that. So what is that? All for nothing? Tell us science. Yeah. Well, first let's back up a little bit and talk about some sort of early scientific, uh, ramblings, if you will, um, have, having to do with just the connection between, but it basically comes down to like this spark that is who we are. Like, does it have any connection to anything outside ourselves, right? That's okay. what a lot of it is. Because when, you, when you're when you talking about a ghost, you're talking about a a me that exists outside my body, that exists after my body's gone, that there's something, it, my body may be uh, impermanent, but there's something permanent about me, right? Right. Your consciousness, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so a lot of these, uh, a lot of uh, like scientific inquiries even have sort of like, you know, um, you know, poked at reality a little to see if they can find those the, the, the connecting threads, you know? Yeah, in fact, there's something called the law of contagion, which is sort of magical thinking that things that have once been in contact with each other will continue to act on each other at a distance, even after physical contact has been severed. Mm-hmm. And this is really, um, this is what I was saying, it's ingrained in our culture. I mean, all sorts of um, cultures, primitive and in our modern uh, one now, if you think about it, we all sit there and we have these these uh, thoughts connected to someone, mm-hmm. whether or not they're alive or dead, and this idea that we're all connected. Um, and of course, this is magical thinking, so bear with me. I mean, this in, in a more primitive culture might translate to I have uh, Robert's toenail cuttings, and so I'm going to put it in a magical spell and use it against him. Right. Because so, I have something of his. Yeah, it's sympathetic magic, like some of the oldest, like, it's the whole thing, like, I just cut my hair, I better hide this stuff, because if a sorcerer gets a hold of it, you know, I'm totally boned. Yeah, I'm toast, man. And so, then there's this this other idea that, um, that this person, this connection could exist well beyond us, mm-hmm. even in death. Um, and so that law of contagion really helps us to understand, I think, why we have these notions of what happens after death and why we even have the burial rituals that we have with our dead now. I mean, you'd like to think that we bury people because, you know, we want to be nice and we'd like to remember them. But some people would say that we do it because we've got the connection to them. And if we just were to throw them over a boat or throw them in a ditch, they might come after us. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you see this uh, this uh, law of contagion in like, like you know different like heirlooms that are tied to uh, you know the it's people that are still living that are dear you know or people that have died. Um, yeah. You, you see it in the whole uh, you know the whole phrase like oh I'll never wash this hand again. You know that right. it's, uh, you know it's like you've had a physical connection with say you know some minor celebrity that you ran into at a bus stop. Well, I don't know why the celebrity would be taking the bus, uh, maybe the airport, uh, you know, at, at the airport. And you're like, oh, I'll never wash this hand again because there's like there's this idea that there's a, a connection has been established, you know. And, right. And uh, and and therefore the the object of that connection must be maintained and honored so that 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 connection can still be there. Right. Yeah. And yeah. in the best uh, in the best worlds, that connection would be a talisman. Mm-hmm. And the worst of worlds, that would be, uh, you know, some sort of stink eye against you. Right. <laughs> I guess. 
going back to the toenail clippings. So this is definitely ingrained in us. Um, and whether or not we realize it, we, we all have been sort of operating, at least in the Western world, under this context. And so if you look back at, at what we used to think scientifically, you can see how when spiritualism came up in the 1900s, people got really excited about that because they thought, oh, ectoplasm. There's all yeah. there's all sorts of things that are uh, representative of from the beyond. Um, and this ectoplasm is going to, you know, prove it. And here's this medium. And we're all going to raise a table. Yeah. And, and she's totally not just pulling out like damp cloths and no. worse things. Yeah. Worse. Sheep stomach, yeah. I think, was the other one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that from Spook? Yeah. Yeah. Mary Roach yeah. gets into it a lot. Yeah, in, in some detail that you would make you shudder a little bit. Yeah. Some of the antics that they pull. But I'll leave it to you, your <laughs> imagination. But so you can see science trying to, trying to grapple with this question. And in fact, she even covers, uh, someone named Duncan McDougal, McDougal, excuse me, his 21 grams theory. Right. Yeah. Which is, here's this guy. He's trying to substantiate the existence of a material soul by weighing a corpse just after it ceases to live. And, um, you know, he does it. He, I think he does like maybe eight corpses or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And it's like each one, it's like, it, this was hardly like pristine, like, you know, uh, control environment. No. You know, there's like, it's, he, he, it, nobody makes corpse weighing scales for, for this purpose. Right. You know? First, that's the first problem. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's like it was in a barn or something, right? I mean, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think that. The time of death wasn't always accurate, yeah. so someone might have expired and then, oops, yeah, it was 10 minutes too late. Yeah, it's not like he, like, weighed eight corpses and each one, they were, like, you know, definite measurements of 21 grams. Right, right. Yeah. So maybe one of those, I think in Marriage's research, that maybe one of those wings was sort of uh, meeting the criteria yeah. of sort of... But he's looking at Ram measuring this, and it was like, "Hey, this what this body now weighs twenty one grams less, right?" And the soul is gone, so therefore, the soul weighs twenty one grams and just flew out the window. That's right. Yeah. And here we have evidence of the soul. So you can see science and and yesteryear reaching for again some sort of idea that there's this existence, there's this law of contagion mm-hmm. uh, extending itself beyond the realm that we know. So what do we? Know for sure, though. Uh, well, one thing we know for sure is the, um, I mean, as much as we know anything for sure, I right, guess, right. but uh, the first law of thermodynamics, and that's that energy can neither be created or destroyed. Okay. Um, and and, uh, and and this is another thing that Mary Roach goes into a little bit in the book, and that's that, that uh, if, if energy, energy can, can neither be created nor destroyed. Well, you can, if you really get some fine measurements, you can measure the, the energy of of consciousness, of thought, you know, um, and where did, where does it go? Is it, it, can it just turn off or does it go somewhere? You See, know? I, that's the rub, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this fact that we, that matter still has, contains energy, right? Energy is matter. And I mean, that just doesn't change after you die as far as we know, right? right. We can't necessarily track it. We don't know where it goes. And we're, so and that it, becomes the grand problem or the mysterium tremendum. Yeah. And unlike the people who are looking at this, they're not all saying like, oh, this definitely means that, uh, this tiny little, this tiny little bit of energy that was human consciousness or, or, or just the thoughts rambling around in the, uh, you know, the, in the, uh, the head meat up there. 
that it, uh, you know, shot up to heaven or, you know, went to the next life or jumped into a mouse that was hanging out in the hallway. Right. You know, it might just be, you know, diffusing into the, you know, the surrounding area or something of, of that nature. But still, it's interesting to think, uh, you know, about applying the law of thermodynamics, uh, the first law of thermodynamics, uh, um, to, you know, thoughts and think, well, that it, it can't end. It has to go somewhere. The energy goes somewhere. Right. You know, so even if it's not a, you know, a survival of me or a survival of my thoughts, it's kind of interesting to think of like the survival of that energy in the same way that like the body that you leave behind. I mean, that is it, that is energy. And, you know, if it's planted in uh, a garden, that energy is going to, uh, to transfer on to other organisms. Right. Or if, uh, you happen to leave your body to science and you end up in a body farm. Right. Rotting away for, 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 uh, for data. Um, then yeah, then you're, well, I guess it's the same thing. You're still going to have matter transferred over to a little shred of grass or to another cadaver. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of actually a lovely thing when you think about it, or at least in my mind is that you're dispersing your matter. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I like to think like when I go to the grocery store, uh, I like to think of it, um, Especially them being really like judgmental about what other people are putting into their shopping carts. Oh, you I do like, that? I do that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I also try and be judgmental about what, what we're putting into our, sh- our shopping cart. Right. And I think of, uh, I tend to think that like I am going to build a new body out of the things I buy at the store today. Okay. You know? So I want to build things that are not disgusting. You know, it's like, a, like, oh, I'm going to build a new body out of, oh, some, you know, some nice vegetables and, and not Cheetos and not Cheetos and tombstone pizzas, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, oh, tombstone pizza. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like I've built my body out of these things, the, this, out of these, you know, stored energy items. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now I'm done with the body. So the body is going to become energy again. So it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, you're just borrowing everything. Wow. From body farms to tombstone pizza. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that when you think of it this way, then you you understand matter that it's not just a static thing, right? Right. So we obviously we have no idea where it goes, what it does when you die. But plausibly, it could disperse itself. Um, and then you have the problem of quantum physics, or you could some would say you could have the solution with quantum physics in multiverse. Mm-hmm. So with quantum physics, there's a non-linear dimension of life, assuming that some of the tenets of quantum physics are applicable and correct, namely that observations can't be predicted absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I there's the rub number two. So what we are saying is that there may be a range of possible observations with different probability in an infinite number of universes where time and events aren't behaving in the way that we experience them or the way that we expect them. To behave. Right. Which like, is that another it's, big question mark? Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. And I think a lot of people begin to sort of shut off when you, uh, when, when, when quantum physics come up and especially when like the idea of, of multiple universes come up because it's, if you can almost explain anything with quantum physics yeah. if you really want to. Yeah. And, and, and it, and it's, it actually, it ticks off a lot of uh, scientists out there too. Uh, we were both looking at, uh, sources from, uh, this guy, uh, John Horgan. And uh, he uh, discounted a lot, a lot of some of the things we're talking about when, when quantum physics getting get involved as a quote scientific theology, which uh, is kind of like we talked about in the um, the anthropic, anthropic uh, uh, principle um, podcast is that uh, is that you kind of end up building some of the same like trying to answer unanswerable things, except instead of throwing like folktale at it 
and uh, you know, and 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 religion, or or even you know, necessarily, or even philosophy. You're you're throwing like scientific ideas and right. trying to build something that can't really be proven. Yeah, and I guess the problem with quantum physics is because uh, is that it's sort of used as a placeholder sometimes, as you right. said. So it's like, well, okay, you'd have to have this condition, this condition, this condition, and then the gel of all this is quantum physics. Yeah. So, which, and, and that's not to say that you can't prove out some things in quantum physics. You can, obviously. Right. Um, well, well, one interesting thing is the um, the idea of uh, quantum entanglement. Yeah. And that has actually been observed. Uh, University of uh, Geneva in Switzerland uh, did that uh, earlier this year, I believe, or at least they published earlier this year. Okay. Is this what Einstein called spooky matter at a distance? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Uh, like, basically, it comes down to um, you have photons, like tiny, you know, little uh, little particles, photons whose quantum properties are so uh, independently linked that uh, one always knows what the other knows what the other one is doing. They don't actually, they're not conscious. But, but the idea is that um, uh, when one uh, one photon's quantum state is measured, mm-hmm. the other photon changes. So uh, it's kind of a, an interesting. Uh, uh, you know, it kind of lines up with the whole law of uh, of contagion we were talking about. All right. Shape-shifting. Yeah. And so that's an example of something where they can say, hey, we've actually observed this. Um, uh, you know, we, we can you can actually observe it with the human eye under correct, um, you know, uh, uh, conditions. Right, right. But, but not every – there's a whole lot of other stuff in quantum physics, especially if you use quantum physics to build some sort of out-there theories that is, is a lot harder to, to build a case for. Okay. So that's yeah. what we're saying is that, yes, there are some ways that you can apply it, but – Wholesale, not necessarily, but it's an intriguing question, right? Yeah. Because we just don't know the answers to this. So that brings me to, okay, the the whole thing about having a parallel universe, that makes me think about near-death experiences and this sort of um, duplicity of self, or not even duplicity, but... This idea of yourself being outside of yourself. Right. And if for anybody who ever watched, uh, Unsolved Mysteries as a, as a child, um, this is like, you know, the basic thing where it's like the person's on the operating table or they're in the emergency room and they have that sensation where they're, they're, they're rising up from the table and then they're looking down at themselves on the operating table. Do they also see the, the tunnel and the light and? Yes. And I th- I people so. start coming to get them from from the afterlife. Yeah, that may be the same episode or multiple. I don't know. It's like Unsolved Mysteries started out being about like crimes, and then like later it was just all like aliens and and uh, lost time and otherworldly experiences. Hmm. Scared me a lot as a child. <laughs> it uh, it definitely shaped you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hence the uh, preoccupation with our topic today. Yes. Yes. So. What I thought was interesting, and this is uh, this is from a article by Josh Clark about has science explained life after death. He talks about REM intrusion, REM intrusion, which um, is this conclusion that there is a disorder in which a person's mind can wake up before the body does, and hallucinations occur during that time, including the feeling like you're detached from your body. And so the thought is that these intrusions are triggered by traumatic events like cardiac arrest, and it occurs in the brainstem, mm-hmm. where uh, this intrusion can still occur, even though your higher brain may be occupied or um, may even be shutting down. And so I think this is interesting. Is that it came out of a study from the University of Kentucky, and they're basically saying, here, we've got we've got a, a solution to this whole near-death experience. It may not just be 
you, you know, traveling outside of your body astrally because, you know, you've experienced or you're, you are about to experience death. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we can kind of poke holes in that. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we, we know it's so important to scientists that they're actually uh, conducting even more studies. And something that just came out in the Wall Street Journal or, or pretty recently did. Oh, this is the one with the pictures, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know about this. Tell me a little bit more. Uh, well, the, the idea is basic. Like I say, you know, as we've all seen on Unsolved Mysteries, um, the person or any number of paranormal um you know, documentary type shows. The, the idea is the person is raising up off the table and they're seeing themselves from above. Yeah. So what if you were to, you know, put a little picture, a little photograph or, or it's like, you could even do it with like a, um, like a playing card. Like, is this your card, sir? You know, lay it next to the person's head. Right. And then after they've had the, uh, the out of body experience, say, what card did you see next to your head laying on the table? Right. And if they're like, what are you talking about? I didn't see a card. Then you would know that nothing happened or if they couldn't, Guess the correct card. Okay. You know. So these are researchers who have suspended pictures face up from the ceiling in in emergency care areas to test whether or not patients uh, who are brought back to life after cardiac arrest are able to see these pictures or these photos. Which okay. okay so. Which automatically I start to think like, what sort of pictures are they even using? Like you said, it could be a playing card. I mean. Yeah, the dark side of me wants to think that they're pictures of clowns, <laughs> just to scare them. I was picturing horses for some reason. Horses, yeah. Oh, but maybe like kind of like like you know snarling horses, or they don't really snarl, but you know where their nose dripping. Yeah, where their lips pull back and they're all like teeth. For horsemen of the apocalypse ish. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we both have like these really snuggly ideas of what the researcher should put in front well, of. Well, it needs to be memorable. Like, right, you don't yeah. want it to be like, oh, there's a picture of some kid. I guess I thought one of the surgeons just takes that out when he's working to inspire it. Well, see, but- that's why I thought the clowns would be really funny because if you're having out of body experience and you indeed can see the, the photos, you're, oh my God, this is clowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, which actually that's, that's kind of awful. It's sort of mean. Well, unless they really loved clowns, and then it would be like, "What am I? I should go back to my body." There are clowns in this you, life. And yeah, where I'm going, there there may be no clowns, or there may be lots of clowns. It depends on your your definitions of the afterlife. I oh guess. my goodness, a clown! I have to say that's it's not my it's not my idea of a perfect afterlife. It, I think isn't it one of the afterlives in uh, Buddhism? Like there's a one of them. A is clown just, afterlife? Just clowns? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You re- you reach clown status? I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, what I think is really cool about this study is that we should find out what they've learned around March, April or so. They should oh, be wow. publishing. So should be fascinating. Okay, so Susan Blackmore, uh, who makes it her job to study this stuff, she basically has said that she thinks that near-death experience is a particularly dramatic consequence of our cognitive tendency to construct models of ourselves as though observed from the outside. Okay. So this is like, I'm standing at the train station waiting on the train and I, I can't help but imagine what other people are seeing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just me doing that. Right. No, no, no. Right. Like you have the, you know, in your database, you've, you've got all these images built up so you can obviously imagine yourself um, looking at yourself and that's that this is just really the consequence of that. So that near death experience isn't necessarily something that people are 
actually experiencing. Huh. And to boot, there's something called ketamine, which is a drug that can induce the same sort of sensations that you get. Okay. So another piece of evidence to sit there and say, mm, okay, near-death experience, really interesting, but it may not be what we think it is in terms of linking uh, the afterlife to our own experiences here on Earth. Because they can they can produce similar effects with a, a drug artificially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So which begs the question, can our consciousness exist apart from the brain? Yeah, this is uh this is one that I, uh, that gets a lot of play just uh, you know throughout like science fiction and and, and fantasy. Uh, I think like the idea of, of digitized uh, consciousness as uh, you know comes up a lot. The idea that that I could like maybe make a, a like a digital copy of my brain and it could exist somewhere and think. But it's uh, it, it gets really complicated when you when you start wondering about that. Uh, for starters, we're not really sure. Uh, we have a really hard time defining consciousness anyway. Yeah. So the idea of like, can we replicate something that we don't even we don't even really know what it is? It's it, it gets kind of difficult. Like you, do you, you have to like create a machine that has all these pieces and then fools itself into thinking that it has free will and then just you know it's just it gets really. Really muddy, really fast. Yeah, and, the, and I can't think about it um, from any perspective other than the biological structures. Mm-hmm. So you've got your your nerve cells, and you've got your firing of neurons, and you've got your synaptic connectivity. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine that in some sort of disembodied state. Right, and then our our heads too. I mean, and it, it's it's easy to to in a very idealistic way say. Say, I want, you know, I want me, you know, my mind to, you know, exist in a machine somewhere. But then you, you start thinking of like all the different weird and often unpleasant things that make our mind what it is. And, and again, how they're all tied to biology and, uh, and, and, and like the whole like sort of like you, you throw in the ego in there too. And you have yeah. all these sort of these weird forces kind of pulling at each other. And it's like, why would you even want to replicate that? Why not build something better, you know? Yeah, I agree. And, and, uh, you, you say the ego and it makes me think about Buddhism mm-hmm. and, and, and Occam's razor. Um, and Buddhism just says, well, self is an illusion. So why do you think it could replicate itself outside of self? Yeah. Essentially. Or I'm saying that actually. Buddhists aren't saying that. And I think a lot of times what we think of, uh, another idea that you encounter in, in, I think in some in Buddhism, but also in a lot of like new age kind of stuff where, uh, uh, people talk about like, the, what we think of as self isn't really self. It's like there's us and then there's this kind of like fake you that you kind of create that's kind of mashed together out of ego and everything. That's, right. It's kind of lumped in there as well. So and again, you're kind of so you're kind of like lying to yourself constantly about who you are and like marching around this little ego puppet in, in your head. Yeah. And if you apply the Marxist theory to that, <laughs> then you're just a product that's been signified. Oh, I know. It's not even, you don't really, who cares about your consciousness? Go make us something. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, that people haven't tried to actually look into our consciousness existing outside of our brain. You've got something called ORC theory, which is orchestrated objective reduction. So it's O-R-C-H. Yes. Yeah. Or I guess you could say ORCH. ORCH. ORC. I like ORC better. I like ORC too. Yeah. Uh, but you've got Sir Roger Penrose and Stuart Hameroff. And they're basically saying that uh, consciousness is a sequence of quantum computations inside brain neurons. And the idea is that each neuron isn't just flipping a switch, but actually a complex computer of its own. 
Okay. Okay, I'm not going to pretend to really <laughs> understand. I mean, my brain is hanging on a thread with this one. But I did find this really cool website called edge.org. And it's basically a bunch of missives uh, between scientists, uh, theorists, and they're all batting about their own ideas. And they're taking heat and they're giving it back. And I dig that. So um, with Stuart Hameroff, he actually posted something as a rebuttal to Lee Smullen and Stuart Kaufman. And he, uh, about Orc, he had said, the two main points I want to make is the flow of time is a feature of consciousness and outside of consciousness, there may not be a flow of time. Okay. Consciousness provides the clock. All right. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. And then the second thing is that the Orc or model suggests consciousness is a sequence of self-organizing re- rearrangements of space-time geometry at the level of quantum spin networks. Well, that makes perfect sense. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was just thinking that the other day, you know? Well, yeah. No, but that's, that's uh, yeah, that's really complicated. Yeah, yeah. So I just put that out there because people are thinking about this and they're writing down uh, their thoughts about it, about the quantum spin networks. And that made me go to Freeman Dyson who is a physicist and he was contributing to all different fields. Oh yeah, he had, seems to have had his his hands in just about everything. I mean yeah. from you know from dreaming up things like the Dyson sp- uh, sphere to uh to you know his involvement with the with the Orion project. Uh the, you, the list goes on. He's an amazing amazing guy. Yeah. And he's really an optimist because he feels like the earth first of all or I should say rather the universe is going to be expanding at a pretty steady rate. Okay. So he's not someone who thinks that, you know, it's all going to end very soon. That's, that's the first deal with him. So he likes to imagine us as um, as beings who can adjust to that and who can actually start to conserve energy. And in an article in, with Slate, he was actually asked, you know, what could our descendants possibly look like a trillion years from now when the stars have disappeared and the universe is dark and freezing and so diffuse that it's practically empty. And ever the optimist, he he finds like a like a bright way of looking at, at this uh, at our existence in this universe of death. Yes. Yes. He says the most plausible answer is that conscious life will take the form of interstellar dust clouds. So for him consciousness is just a bunch of charged particles hanging out in a dust cloud. Well, and he actually thinks that there's that our uh, consciousnesses will merge into one great mind and actually uh, be able to transcend this locality of where we are now. That's interesting. That kind of flows back into some of the anthropic uh, principle uh, theories that were being thrown around, uh, you know, about the, the idea that once you, once consciousness comes into being, it can't really be stopped and it will eventually become like godlike. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Is that the final anthropic? Yes, final anthropic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that was one that always kind of threw me because I was thinking, well, what is the matrix? What are you talking about? <laughs> is this our intelligence is being construed as a computer program? But uh basically he he's thinking that we'll become these organisms that are free floating and um and just uh, hanging out as clouds. Yeah. Which But but that whoa. would be a situation where you would have consciousness existing without a physical body in a way Kind of, kind of a ghost, I guess, if you want to go there. Ghost clouds. Ghost clouds, yeah. I like it. Um, trillion years from now, check it out. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, can, can, has science explained life after death? No, not really. Sorry. If you were looking for a, no. a definite answer on that, uh, then we're, we're not going to be able to deliver it at this time. No, but if you're interested in about whether or not scientist has, uh, debunked 
some myths about ghosts. It, all the information is available. So if you know about EVP, the voice recordings, yeah, the, you hear the voices um, and all that. Yeah, Jonathan and Chris at Tech Stuff did a really cool uh, podcast on ghost busting technology. Yeah, uh, and they go into all this, so that's that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, ectoplasm uh, ray guns or yeah, and such. And of course, be sure to check out uh, Josh Clark's article, "Has Science Explained Life After Death?" Which uh, you know, just a two pager, but, uh, Josh, uh, covers, uh, some of the ground that we, uh, we cover in this and does it in a nice, concise, uh, manner. It's a fine Joshian article. Yes. Well, I think that's a wrap for, uh, Science in the Afterlife. All right. Check us out next week. And if you haven't already read Josh Clark's article, Has Science Explained Life After Death or Do Parallel Universes Really Exist? Why don't you take a look, see Adam, at HowStuffWorks.com? The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more, all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts, and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes.